Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Insulate Beyond the Bolus podcast recorded at the 82nd Scientific Sessions at the American Diabetes Association in New Orleans. This is part one of a compilation of interviews recorded and hosted by Dina Goddesman and Nancy Hanna. Within this episode, topics include exercise with closed-loop therapy with Dr. Laurel Messer, reducing stigma with diabetes and plant-based eating with Nicole Patience, and hear from the Outstanding Educator and Diabetes Award winner, Amy Hesfischel. Thank you for listening and enjoy. I am so excited because we have Dr. Laurel Messer sitting with us today. Hi, ladies of diabetes. (laughs) How are you? I'm great. It's such an honor to be here at the American Diabetes Association 2022. First in-person meeting in two years, and I get to celebrate all this new technology that's available for persons with diabetes. Isn't it exciting? It is really exciting. I feel like you just took our whole intro and ran with it. You can't replace this in-person time. (laughs) No. I feel like that's what wins this conference right now is that we get to all be together. I agree with both of you on that so much. That's so good. I see that you have speaker on your tag. Yes. What have you what have spoken you spoken about. about? Yes. Well, this conference has been great because number one, it gave some additional details about research that have been published in the last year. But my passion topic at this conference was about how to use open loop and closed loop systems for exercise management because exercise causes all sorts of glycemic challenges that aren't as present during kind of day-to-day activities. So I got to spend some time with the audience talking about practical strategies to help with exercise management. That's awesome. That's really Do you have like a couple of key takeaway nuggets that you can share? Yes. The first, of course, is that exercise is so individualized. There's no formula. And it would be so much better if we had a formula. But what we're looking at is trying our best to reduce insulin on board at the time of exercise to reduce the risk of hypoglycemia during exercise. So strategies with closed loop involve using exercise targets and different ways to decrease bolus insulin in the hours prior. And then after exercise, understanding that your body is at risk for hypoglycemia because of glycogen storage that occurs in the 24 hours after exercise. So again, using some of these targets and features of diabetes technology to help make that easier on the person living with diabetes. That's amazing. I really am very looking forward to seeing those slides. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, and I think what we need to realize is that, you know, what works for one person won't work for another. But when you have tools available to you, you can figure out how to customize them for the person with diabetes needs and helping them strategize those features and ways to do things for their personal needs are really important. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with Omnipod 5 thus far? Absolutely. So I'm very lucky to have been using OP5 in clinical trials for a long time. So when, as you guys launch this new baby, I feel like I have as well. And so what I'm most excited about is seeing children who are now using it in clinical practice and helping train our healthcare provider force in knowing what to do with the data, how to use it. The user experience is very, very smooth. The people using it are this is their new best friend. And they have been waiting and waiting for Omnipod for a patch system to have a closed loop, essentially. And so now that that is available to them, we're seeing such high user satisfaction in the, especially the people who have been waiting literally years for this. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. It's yeah. so nice to hear. Yeah. It's where the hard work pays off at the end. Like the amount of time and investment you as a company have put into this, our clinical sites who have done these research studies from, you know, when this algorithm was on a laptop years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's really beautiful to see that progress to something that can meaningfully change lives and outcomes so that these children with diabetes who are at long-term risk for micro and macrovascular complications now have a way to reduce that risk with very little burden. That's amazing. Wow. It really is so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could jump for joy. What are you most excited about for the rest of the conference to see what sessions are you looking forward to? Oh, that's a great question. I think in general, again, just being in person with collaborators, colleagues, industry and academia has been incredibly fruitful just to reestablish our FaceTime, our connections. There are a variety of results being presented at this conference, including like the very young child data with OP5, which I missed yesterday. So about half this conference is going to be me catching up on the things that I didn't get to go to, which is actually wonderful that you have a hybrid platform conference. That's awesome. Dr. Laurel Messer, we are so happy that you took some time out of your very busy schedule to chat with us today. Absolutely. You guys deserve um, an enormous congratulations. It's very exciting what you have done, and we're all proud to have been a small part of it. So thank you for what you do. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, can you introduce yourself for us, please? Sure. My name is Nicole Patience. I'm a registered dietitian, certified diabetes care and education specialist, and certified eating disorder uh, registered dietitian. Oh, wow. We haven't had one of those. No, no. no. Uh, well, dietitians are obviously <laughs> the best. I am one, so I always, <laughs> I, I always love talking to other ones. I always find that we're very all sort of very like-minded, particularly diabetes educators. How long have you been in the field? Uh, over 15 years. Me too. Yes. <laughs> That's excellent. So we have seen a lot of changes yes. with technology, with medications, with ADA recommendations, with a lot of different things. Before we get into all of that, since we are recording live from the ADA, tell us about some of the sessions you've attended. Tell us about what you're really excited about here at the ADA. Well, I attended a fantastic session on stigma, which was oh, wow. so eye-opening and just really just helps helps to understand a little bit more of the picture of what's going on around just for everyone that we're working with. Um, so that was fantastic. Um, what was the key takeaway? Part of it is just all the education that needs to happen on every level, not just family members, not just providers, but also the internal stigma that people experience mm. who experience, who have diabetes and just the work that we need to do to support and address and understand more about it. I think that's like the theme of the day so far about sort of stigma and language. Yeah, and I think bias and stigma are very different. And it's interesting because I hadn't thought about the stigma that people have. It sounds like just self-stigma, like you learn about, you know, diabetes, you are diagnosed with this. Oh, the way what? we talk to ourselves, yeah, right? right? The messages we send and perpetuate and the stories we tell ourselves really make a difference in how we feel about navigating the world. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. Especially in life in general, but with diabetes, you know, the association of good and bad, good blood sugars, good day, bad blood sugars, bad day. I'm bad. I'm good. You know, I think it's so hard to, we have to like crack through a lot of that facade of our patients to kind of get them to see that a blood sugar is just a blood sugar. How do you think you're going to incorporate what you learned in that talk into your practice? 
Well, I think it just speaks to the value of unpacking with people with diabetes when we sit with them to unpack what's happening, unpack the barriers, recognize that they're a whole person, that it's not, they're not just their diabetes. And so it's just a reminder to slow down and try to understand, meet people where they're at. So from that session and just in terms of your takeaway, how do you think that we can change that stigma? Well, it's fascinating. So there's an educational campaign from in Australia that was happening, one of the speakers oh. showed, uh, about ways to address it in a societal, in a cultural basis. And she pointed out that there were a, lot, a number of different ways that, that someone with diabetes was feeling stigmatized, whether it was a family or medical practice or you know, different ways. But the campaign brought up a lot of, like it was kind of like a shame-based campaign because mm. it was like, this is how you made someone feel instead of being proactive and thinking about it from a positive, like how do we change our attitudes to prevent stigma from happening? So it was really interesting the way that research is being done to address it that can be very proactive and doesn't always have to leave people feeling kind of icky or, or kind of guilty about the way that they've been That's navigating. very cool. So that was a great session. And yesterday there was another fantastic session, a lively session with very interesting speakers around plant-based eating. Ooh. So what was that about? I'm so jealous, actually, that I'm gonna, <laughs> I didn't get to see any of these. <laughs> well, I think one of the neat, best things about it was just talking about the benefit of any, any meals that we, that we bring in more plant-based, more colors, more variety. And there, it's, it's, the research is pretty clear about the benefits of incorporating a more plant-based diet, but it doesn't have to be 100% plant-based in order to, to be healthier. Were they talking about glycemic index and just postprandial blood sugars in terms of a plant-based A little diet? bit in terms of fiber, yeah. right? Absolutely, this insulin sensitivity. Yeah, there were many different aspects. A cardiologist gave one of the talks. Oh, wow. A nice. researcher gave it another talk, and then we had a, a dietitian as well that was there. And, just the idea of, of really talking up and making plant-based foods just look and feel more appealing as opposed to just think like, oh, did I get my vegetables in? But thinking of it as like a, wow, I have an opportunity to really up the caliber and the flavor profile and the just the, the yummy factor of what I'm eating by mm -hmm. adding in some more variety. That's awesome. Yeah. We were talking about that earlier today, right? Because you like to cook, Dina. I do, yes. And we were talking about how important it is and, and how it can be simple. Well, and right? part of it is because as a dietitian, I'm really terrible at eating my vegetables. So I do need to find ways to eat them. And so I have to, it's about making it taste good, right? Taste and, and look, look good. And look pretty. Well, right. That's we, right. We don't just eat with our stomachs. We yeah. eat with our eyes, yeah. right? We eat with our hands. I mean, how many times have you heard a toddler or a preschooler say, it's too fatty or it's too squishy or I don't like how it feels in my mouth or yeah. it doesn't look nice. I'm not going to eat it. I don't want to touch it. Or they poke it and that's it. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of times if we start when they're young, you know, that those are habits that go with people forever. I think the challenge too just probably is how do you get people to turn about face, right? So how do you well, do yeah. that in your practice? Well, there's such a stereotype around dietitians that, oh, if you're a dietitian, <laughs> you're going to only eat salads. Amen. And it's just, I used to say that to painful. my patients. So I'm a nurse, and I used to say to my patients when they would come to see me in clinic, well, have you seen a dietitian? And I can't <laughs> tell you how many times they would roll their eyes. There was maybe one dietitian at the entire clinical practice who was 
phenomenal. And when she left, that was it. The business fell apart. Nobody wanted to go see the dietitian. So you're right. That's right. That's so thing. we're not going to win anyone over by getting really excited about eating and making salad. Yeah. But there 100%. are a lot of ways to incorporate more vegetables into what we're eating. And so it doesn't have to be one way or the highway, of course. So we can think about accessibility, think about yep. grocery schedules, think about all the different ways to make things appealing. But then also think, okay, well, maybe it's maybe less in the summer, but maybe it's a soup or maybe it's a, just adding something on the side or maybe it's just zapping up some vegetables to throw alongside a takeout order. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing, but it can really make a big difference in terms of the, you know, how energized we feel and how like the nutrient profile of, of, of what we're eating and, and how satisfied we are after we eat. Well, I think that's probably all the time we have, but Nicole, your patients are so lucky to have you. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you. Nice talking with you. Such a pleasure to be here. My name is Amy Hess-Fischel. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist, certified diabetes care and education specialist at the University of Chicago. Chicago, nice. Nice. Lovely. So first things first, congratulations. Thank you. We heard you won an award. I did. Yeah, tell us about the award. Of course. The, it's the 2022 Outstanding Educator in Diabetes Award. Amazing. Yes. Yay. Thank you. We haven't found a way to incorporate hand clapping. Yeah, hand clapping. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to do that. Okay. He'll fix right. that. Perfect. Well, that's excellent. So tell us about where you were when you heard that you had won this award. Oh, sure. So first, uh, my very first boss in diabetes nominated me, Chris Beebe. He's a wonderful dietitian, great champion, uh, past president of ADA, uh, as well as another wonderful friend and colleague, Carmine Kulkarni, another past president of ADA, uh, and dietitian and certified diabetes care and education. And my, uh, my current collaborator, colleague at the University of Chicago, Lou Phillipson, one of our endocrinologists, um, they nominated me. So, uh, you know, again, I was aware that I was nominated, uh, but uh, I was, like a lot of people with COVID, I was, you know, home when I, when I found they, they, you know, they called. And so it was, it was such a wonderful honor to have such wonderful people nominate me for this amazing award that's awesome so it was like a little surreal like oh my gosh really me It's, it's of nice course you. Be, it's nice to be recognized by just, your peers. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's an honor. That's yeah. an absolute honor. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the practice that you come from. Sure. So at the University of Chicago, we have over 20 pediatric and adult endocrinologists all in the same clinic. Not at the same time. That would be chaos. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a very small uh, diabetes care and education group, though. So you know, I always have to put a little plug out there that we are hiring. Love to have some there we go. We do the same thing. Diabetes <laughs> care and education specialist. Yeah. Please call Amy Hesfischel. Uh, but we see uh, over 10,000 people with diabetes per year. Diabetes care and education, about three to 4,000 of those are being seen. Uh, and so we have such a very eclectic blend of, of people that we see. You know, again, I personally uh, see mostly type ones from birth to 90. 
And yes, yes. So both pediatric and adult. I do. So I originally started working with pediatrics, then moved to kind of both pediatric and adults, and then went to solely pediatric, and then went to teens. Oh. So I, I came to the University of Chicago 15 years ago to start a transition program. And that's so, okay. no, incredible. so needed. Yes. I so feel needed. like that's one of the most underserved communities. That transition to from oh, adolescence to adulthood yeah. is yes. is so important, and they get they just get lost. They do well, and you know, I think that you know, again, not to diss any of the the guidelines, because again, guidelines are are the thing that helps us move forward. But when I think of transition, it has to happen when they're diagnosed. You know, again, this has to be an evolving process before transfer occurs. And and I think that when we think of transition care in teenagers, a lot of pediatric endocrinologists say, eh, well, 18, you know, you're technically an adult. Even though frontal lobe does not grow mm. in until 25, mm-hmm. you're technically an adult. So mm-hmm. you need to go to the adult endo. And I, I think that you know, the model that we have, uh, even at the University of Chicago, as well as with the ped endos I've worked with in the past is, Let's keep let them stick around a little bit longer, so a their frontal lobe can grow in, but and then they actually can gain some more responsibility. But you know, we know that not everyone is going to, you know, walk to the the beat of the same drummer, and so we have to really acknowledge that. So. Yeah, that's so important, and I love hearing that programs like that are in existence because I feel like from an institution like University of Chicago that is so well respected to be able to kind of use that as a blueprint, I think, for other other institutions. Well, and we have to acknowledge that not every system is going to work. I mean, we are fortunate because we have such a large group that, you know, again, that have both peed and adults, and there's very little, you know, handoff that has to really uh, occur. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that when I look at it in the scope of, you know, again, what do rural communities do? Right. You know, again, we have mm. to just at least acknowledge that yeah, we might, pediatrics may have to have these these teens to stick around a little bit longer that, you know, again, that transfer to adults may not be as viable at a, a standard time, especially if you don't have the resources available. Do you find that with the pandemic and its use of telehealth and telemedicine, has that impacted your capacity and ability to to reach that community? Absolutely. You know, I think that while there are still issues when it comes to access, you know, depending on socioeconomics, uh, you know, again, a lot of folks, while they have cell phones, their Wi-Fi isn't that great. So mm-hmm. we know that there are idiosyncrasies when it comes to, to telehealth. But what it means is that those teens that we were seeing before may not have been able to get into the office, we can now see them more effectively, more quickly, more often, and you know, again, they love it because again, they don't have to schlep all the way to our clinic. Yeah. They don't have to worry about paying for parking. They don't. You they know, don't they have to worry about who's driving them, well, right? Exactly. Because a lot of them yeah. may not may not have somebody available to drive, exactly. and they may not have their driver's licenses exactly. or or public transportation right. or whatever. Right. right. Well, Amy, thank you so much for stopping yes, by. Thank we you. really appreciate your my time. And congratulations. congratulations again. Oh my gosh, and, thank you. You know, we can't wait for you to get Omnipod uh, I can't in either. your in <laughs> and um and enjoy the rest of thank the, the best sessions. wishes to thank you. you. I've been playing I've been playing with the app though. Oh, just wanna let you know, yes, you know, again, definitely use. if it's for those folks that are listening to this, if you haven't downloaded the Omnipod Five Amazing. Simulator app, please do because it's a really great way to to kind of identify some things that if you have haven't had any patients on OP5 yet. So wonderful. All Thank right. you so much, Thank Amy. You, ladies, Amy. have a great day. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Thanks you. so much for inviting me. Take Absolutely. Care. Bye-bye. Bye.